Welcome to the Faith Connections Podcast, a partnership between the Foundry Publishing, Nazarene Discipleship International, and Holiness Today. Welcome to our study this week of 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. My name is Scott Rainey. I serve with the Church of the Nazarene in the area of Nazarene Discipleship International, or NDI. This adult Sunday school video lesson is provided in collaboration between the Foundry Publishing and NDI. The Sunday School lesson is intended to support the local church's efforts to make disciples who make disciples. Please feel free to use this video in any way that helps your church or its families. This week, we continue our study in the life of David. As quickly as Goliath fell to the ground on the battlefield, David rose in power and popularity across Israel. With one military success after another, his name became known in every town. Saul promoted David to a high rank in the army, a move that, according to 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 5, pleased all of the troops and officers. Whenever the army returned victorious, people lined the streets to welcome the triumphant warriors of which David was the greatest. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 7 says, As the crowds danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. These words, however, made King Saul angry. David was receiving more praise than the king. Saul's rage turned violent, and on multiple occasions, he attempted to kill David. Even Saul's own family was taken by the young man David, on whom God had put his spirit. Jonathan, Saul's oldest son and heir apparent to the throne, loved David as a brother. Twice, the word of God says that Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 and verse 3. Jonathan knew that David, not he, would be the next king of Israel. 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 17 reveals this when it says, Don't be afraid, Jonathan said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. Humbly in the Lord, Jonathan seemed to accept this reality and stayed true to his commitment and deep friendship with David. Not only did Jonathan help David gain clarity about King Saul's plans to kill him, he also stood up for David before his father, risking his very life. With Jonathan's love and support secure, he called David to the following covenant in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 14 and 15. It says, But show me unfailing kindness, like the Lord's kindness, as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. David agreed, and the covenant was formed. Before we even get into the main part of our lesson for this week, I want to slow down and recognize that we all need a friendship like David and Jonathan had. These kinds of friendships sharpen us to be all that God wants us to be. They also encourage us when we're going through life's most challenging roads. 
If you're feeling alone today, I pray that God will give you a Jonathan-like friendship. After several years of David on the run, King Saul and his three sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua, found themselves in a battle against the Philistines. The battle did not go well for Israel. King Saul and his three sons, including Jonathan, were killed. Immediately after the death of Saul, Abner, Saul's army commander, took Saul's only remaining son, Ishbosheth, eastward across the Jordan River to a town called Mahanaim. There, Abner made Ishbosheth king of Israel's northern tribes, while David was made king in Judah. Two short years later, Ishbosheth was assassinated and David was made king of all Israel, according to 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. How would David handle his covenant with Jonathan and Jonathan's descendants after Jonathan's death and David's gaining the throne? Our passage for this week reveals the answers to this question and calls all believers to be promise keepers. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. David asked, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They they summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He's at the house of Makir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought to from Lodabar, from the house of Makir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Meshibosheth, at your servant service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will also eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord 
the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. With King David now having gained control of the entire kingdom of Israel, he initiated an inquiry to discover if any of Saul's family remained. It was customary for a new regime to kill all family members of the former king so that no rightful descendant could launch a bid to regain the throne. Relatives of any king removed from office, therefore, would flee for their lives. So such a request by King David would not have been out of place for him. Also, this request would have made everyone think that the remaining family of Saul was headed for trouble or even death. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2, we're introduced to a man named Ziba. Ziba was a former servant of King Saul, and he would have been aware of any living family members. We learn in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 10, that Ziba had a large family, 15 sons, and 20 servants. You can imagine the concern that Ziba must have felt a former servant to Saul when he was summoned to see the new king. Ziba made his new loyalties clear when he spoke to when David spoke to him. Ziba simply said, "At your servant, at your service," or "I am your servant." David eased the tension likely felt by Ziba by making his intentions known. According to 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 3, the king wanted to show kindness to anyone from Saul's family who was still living. The Hebrew word for kindness in verses 1 and 2 is hesed. Hesed is a word that invokes deep meaning in the Old Testament. Hesed is a covenant commitment that God had made to the people of Israel, an everlasting promise. Jonathan and David had a covenant friendship, and this kind of kindness and faithfulness, that is chesed, would be the godly response. Ziba revealed that there was only one remaining member of Saul's family. His name was Mephibosheth. Now, I have to say that name about 20 times in the next 10 minutes, so please be patient with me. He was the oldest son of Saul's oldest son, Jonathan. That means that Mephibosheth was the ranking heir to Saul's throne. He stood to inherit Saul's kingship and kingdom if the opportunity arose. We learn that Mephibosheth was lame in both feet, according to verse 3. 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, revealed a little more to that story. Mephibosheth was only five years old when King Saul and his father, Jonathan, died. His nurse, knowing that he was in danger, picked him up to flee. He fell from her hands and was permanently injured in the fall. The fact that he was lame 
did not play into David's decision to be kind to Mephibosheth. David's love was not pity, but a godly faithfulness to the commitment he had made. Just a side note, most people who have disabilities are not looking for our pity. Our call to care, as Jesus does, for all people should drive our love, not pity for those in need. When you pity someone, you're caring for them to make yourself feel better. When you love someone, you're caring for them to bless them. Ziba revealed that Mephibosheth lived in Lodabar. The exact location of Lodabar is not known, but most scholars believe that it was near Mahanaim, the town where Abner took Saul's only remaining son, Ishbosheth, when Saul died. It makes sense that the new home of Saul's family would be near the place that Mephibosheth lived. So King David had Mephibosheth brought from his home in Lodabar to Jerusalem to have an audience with the king. Like Ziba, we can only assume that Mephibosheth was fearful as he came to the king. Were his days numbered? The journey from Lodabar to Jerusalem would have taken several days, especially for a man lame in both feet and likely riding on a donkey. We see a little of Mephibosheth's fear when he approached King David. Second Samuel chapter 9, verse 6 says that he bowed down to pay King David honor. David's words in verse 7 must have brought peace to the heart of Mephibosheth. David said, don't be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Even though the covenant partner, Jonathan, was long dead, such a covenant was binding still, even extending to the covenant partner's living son. Mephibosheth was shocked and surprised by King David's graciousness to him. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 8, Mephibosheth replied, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? When you and I think about God's grace today, we might feel the same as Mephibosheth. You see, God's grace is unearned favor. We can do nothing to earn our relationship with God. His gracious love is his gift to us. Like Mephibosheth, we can say, I am dead in sin, O God. How can you show me love like this? But God does. In his loving kindness, his hesed, God demonstrates his eternal faithfulness in the face of our unfaithfulness. And like Mephibosheth, God invites us to his table. The act that would show David's sincerity would be the restoration of all of Grandfather Saul's former land holdings to Mephibosheth. The blessing, however, was more than just land. David also declares that Ziba, his 15 sons, and his 20 servants would farm the land for Mephibosheth providing continual financial support to his family. And above all that, King David invited Jonathan's son to always eat at the king's table. To eat at the king's table was considered a special privilege, and it showed that David welcomed Mephibosheth 
as an honored guest in his home. This was a day of reversal of fortunes for Mephibosheth as at the expense and possible risk of a gracious king. Our story speaks of the integrity of King David to his word. Psalm chapter 78, verse 72 declared, and David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands, he led them. His word to Jonathan was firm. It extended even beyond the life of Jonathan to his descendants. Keeping promises is a lost art today in so many circles. Marriages are lost by broken promises. Father's good intentions become lost in busyness. Those are broken promises. A politician's commitment on the campaign trail becomes all too often a forgotten word, a broken promise. I recently read a story about Sir Winston Churchill. When Churchill resigned as Prime Minister of Great Britain on April 5, 1955, it was thought that the reason for his resignation was his age and his desire to permit Sir Anthony Eden greater latitude in the upcoming elections. That was part of the reason, for sure, but there was one more reason. The 81-year-old statesman had made a promise to the former Clementine Hosier, his wife since 1908. Sir Winston was persuaded to give his remaining years in companionship and affection. The late great man commended, uh, commented about the companionship that he had with his wife. He said, I was married and lived happily ever after. Consider today, do you owe someone the fulfillment of a promise? If you do, don't wait. Complete that promise today, my friend. Let us, God's people, be a people defined by the Lord's chesed, his covenant faithfulness. Thank you for listening to the Faith Connections podcast. If you wish to order Faith Connection materials for your local church, please visit thefoundrypublishing.com. If you've enjoyed this production and wish to hear more, visit holinesstoday.org slash podcast or find us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts.